Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Good morning. It is good to see you. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. I welcome you in the name of Jesus. If you know somebody who needs encouragement today, let me encourage you to just like and share this message as you're watching it, especially if you're on our Facebook platform. Those of you in the room, that's the only time the preacher won't fuss at you for pulling your phone out and just share this message uh, that we're going to be sharing today. It's great, great to see you. If you have a copy of God's Word, join me in Matthew chapter 5. We are moving very, very slowly through what are commonly called the Beatitudes, the statements, the declarations of blessing that Jesus gives, and we're really sort of reorienting in these very, very strange days what it means to live blessed. I would imagine prior to everything we've experienced since February, March, uh, the February, March time frame, that, that a lot of our hashtag blessed on social media doesn't look really all that distinguishable from the world around us. Doesn't make it bad, but it does seem sometimes that we, we don't see clearly. And so I got a new car, hashtag blessed. Look at this new relationship, hashtag blessed. Look at my new boyfriend, girlfriend. Isn't she hot? Isn't he cute? Hashtag blessed. Look at my stock portfolio, hashtag blessed. And, and we've been asking the, the real simple question, what do you do when all of that is taken away from you? Can you still live blessed? And today we look at a passage that tells us that the blessed are those who are meek. That's not something you hear in the world today. And so what is meekness exactly? Meekness is a disposition. It characterizes a person. But it is best observed in how someone reacts, especially how someone reacts to hardship and difficulty. Anybody in front of me or watching me experienced any difficulty this year? Maybe. Yeah, just a little bit. Think about how you've reacted. Now, I don't want you to merely put a paper sack over your head. This isn't a shame-based message, but we are going to have to do some work, aren't we, as we talk about what this looks like. How do we react to hardship? The trial. Uh, do people, have people looked at you, have they looked at me over these last several weeks and said, meekness defines that individual? That's been a real challenge for all of us. Your pastor's been no exception to that rule. I'll tell you, we started the year with, with quite the bang. We thought COVID was going to be relegated to China, Asia, like a lot of other things are. We, we were not going to be affected in any long-term way uh, by any of this. And we began the year with great promise. Pastor Dave and I, along with our staff, had put together in October and November of 2019 a, a campaign, if you will. We're going, to, we're going to see if we can get people to refocus again on weekly attendance. Kind of a rudimentary thing if you're a Christian, but I get it. Culture pulls at you in a number of different ways. And so we launched in January the Can't Miss This Challenge. This church grew by 21% over a six-week period. And can I be honest with you? As the lead pastor, I was going, hmm, we're doing pretty good. This is going to be great. 
And so we started making some long overdue adjustments and approach and strategy. We started talking about what it was going to look like to add seats to this building, to maybe launch another service. It might even be that those satellites we've been talking about need to come earlier than we thought. And then COVID hit. And in a three-week period, we went from a situation where some Sundays you had a hard time finding a seat in this auditorium, especially at the 9 o'clock service. To me, and no more than nine other people, including the band, the production crew upstairs, trying to do what we could to bring worship to your living room, because we were all told we need to stay home for a little while. Everything changed. Now, as I'm experiencing all this, I'm looking at the camera, I'm watching the media, and, and I'm thinking to myself, well, there, there seems to be one good thing that might come out of this. It seems like Maybe this is the thing with all of our division and all of our argument and polarization and fighting about all manner of things. Maybe this will be the thing that pulls our country together. Which should tell you that if you are a gambling person, first of all, you shouldn't because it's stupid. But if you are a gambling person, you should never come to your lead pastor and ask him what to bet on because I apparently have the predictive ability of a 1-900 psychic. Okay. That did not go at all like I envisioned. It did not take long, did it? About a month into it, varying opinions started rolling in. How long should this last? Have you ever noticed how when, when a debate is really intense, it tends to be the most extreme positions that are the loudest, that get the most attention? And subsequently, you and I are tempted not to be where we are, but to gravitate toward one extreme or the other, other, which actually is how polarization happens. And so we had people dressing up like the Grim Reaper, warning people of death who were walking on the beach. Then we had people who said, this is all a big hoax. This is where the word pandemic started to emerge, right? I told my wife, I said, if this were a discussion about the Department of Motor Vehicles, it would sound kind of like this. One side would be, nobody should ever be allowed to drive on these roads again until we can be absolutely assured that no one will ever have an accident or get a ticket on these roads. And the other side is going, I am outraged that they make me slow to half speed in a construction zone. They're trying to control us. All of us, they're trying to control us. Here we are. And so all of a sudden, the stay-at-home order lifted, and our elders started having another kind of conversation. How do we safely reopen this facility? Because when God said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, he didn't stutter. Amen? And there may be a time for a short period when we can do this, but ain't no such thing as TV church. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, particularly anybody who's in a high-risk situation. You're an older adult, you have immunodeficiencies, and you're on the other side of that camera. God bless you. I'm thankful you're there. We're going to continue throughout the rest of this to make sure you are just as connected to this church family. But as for those of you who are sitting there just because you've gotten used to doing church in your pajamas, you ain't doing church. You ain't doing it. So we started having this, this discussion, how are we going to do this safely? Now, by that time, as you can imagine, strong opinions had formed. 
And so we're, we're saying, what should we do? Now, and now, here's something you need to know about your elders, okay? Number one, I promise you, we are not stupid, okay? Which means, among other things, we recognize when we've reached the, uh, the limits of our own collective knowledge and we need to get some help from the people of God. So we sought that help from doctors and nurses that are a part of this church family. And they advised us, and we put together some protocol for how to open this back up. And somewhere in the middle of all this, before I was even allowed to make the announcement, the entire nation decided to split wide open, not on marginal tax rates, not on nuclear disarmament, but on whether or not you should cover your mouth with a piece of cloth. Somehow, that became the most polarizing issue. And within many churches, regrettably, it was put right up there with do you or don't you believe in the Trinity? And so, here we are again. Now, as if it weren't bad enough, June comes. How many of you feel like every successive month in this year is another freight train on fire headed to you, headed in your direction? It's been one of those years, hasn't it? So, so June comes... And an African-American man is murdered, because there's just no other word for it, by Minneapolis police officers. And the whole world falls apart as a result of that. Mostly, it's because there's a conversation about race that as a nation we have refused to have at any substantive level that keeps coming back up because we refuse to have it is now overreacted to in just as godless a way as what we saw in Minneapolis. Lawlessness and vandalism and violence in our streets and intimidation. And I, I spoke a little bit to this issue, but frankly, as a church, what we've been doing has been more under the radar. It's not because we're afraid of the issue, but it's because here's the deal. There are African-American men and women in close proximity to you right now. In close proximity to you right now, probably less obvious are people who are going to put on a badge and strap on a gun tomorrow at the state, local, or the federal level. All of those people call me pastor. And I told you months ago, hell will freeze over before I will choose between you. I'm not going to do it. And this church is not going to do it. Instead, our job is not for Pastor Joel to get up and pontificate about what ought to be, but instead to push these groups together because Jesus says there's something more important than your identity as a police officer or as an African American or as anything else for that matter. Doesn't, but it doesn't negate those identities because law and order are important. Ethnic identity is important. God created us. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe. So we've got, to, we've got to work on this together. This is how we're going to do it. Now, I have to tell you, that is not a popular thing to say in a world that now believes, on the one hand, if you address systemic racism, you must hate cops. Or on the other hand, if you support law enforcement to any degree, you must be a racist. We are fast moving, once again, because we're allowing the extremes to dictate the terms of the conversation in this culture. And when the extremes of a godless culture dictate the terms of the conversation, you know what you're going to have? A godless conversation. That's what you're going to have. And that's what's happening. To the extent that we're probably not far from this question. Are you a Marxist or are you a racist? And if you follow Jesus, you're going to have to answer uh, neither one. How do you do that? Unless you learn how to navigate between all of the godless conversation. And of course, you get lots of opinions on that. Confirmed and 
emails, private messages, text message. And, and, and it was long about July that I looked at my wife and I said, you know, all I really wanted to do on January the 1st was just preach the Bible and make disciples and grow our influence here and around the world. And, and by the way, I'm not whining. I'm incredibly grateful. Let me tell you why. Because in the middle of all of that, there is a core of believers, you're sitting right here in front of me, a lot of you are watching right now, who understand that sometimes you can't act like the roughly 900 people who call Covenant home. Sometimes you have to act like one body, which means you have to defer to the other person. You have to do some things that you'd rather not do. You have to refrain from doing some things that you would rather do in order to be one body, in order to achieve the very unity that Jesus prayed for. And I think Jesus has a right to have his prayers answered, especially by people who claim to follow him. And I'm grateful to see that. In an environment where we are now being told and witnessing in many ways that one out of five, that's not a made-up statistic, one out of five churches will dissolve by the end of this crisis. Some of them because they were fiscally or otherwise unhealthy before all of this started. Others because they have been so divided by all of the current culture warring that they can't find unity in Christ. And if that's the case, you just need to shut your doors. I've said it before. Uh, somewhere around 3,000 churches close their doors every year in a normal period. There's probably four or 500 more that should if you're not accomplishing the message of Jesus. So I, I'm grateful for a lot of what we're doing. So, so you're like, well, Pastor, why are you sharing that story? Are you whining? I'm not whining. I'm trying to identify with where I feel like most of you are because here's, here's my point. I am far from the only person in this room, from the only person watching who's had a much harder than normal year. I, I imagine everybody in front of me is like, yeah, this year stinks. Yeah, Pastor, I would use stronger language. Well, I would too, but I'm on television and I'm, you know, behind a pulpit. I get what you mean. It's hard. And I know for a fact, because I've talked to a lot of you, your year has been exponentially harder than your pastor's. Some of the things that you've had to go through. These past few months, there are people in front of me, people watching. You've lived with anxiety over a virus. You've lived saddened over the loss of human contact, confused by the media that you're confronted with, heartbroken, heartbroken over the loss of friends and family, the sickness, uh, heartbroken still over alienation you felt by people with different views from your own, fearful for your own financial future, intimidated by the challenges you face personally and professionally. And we're trying to move forward during all of this. Here's the question I want to ask this morning. How have you reacted to this these past few months? Let me tell you why that question's important. Because your reaction to everything that's going on right now is an overflow of the disposition of your heart back in January before all this started. Let me say that another way. The way you react in the middle of a crisis is merely an overflow of the disposition that was your heart before the crisis even started. Is that frightening? What does the Lord have to teach us here? What does he have to teach us in verse 5 that can help us change all of that? What have I learned from my own experiences during this difficult season? There is encouragement, there is promise, there is challenge, all rolled up into one right here. 
All right? The encouragement is in this one word, blessed. All right? We've been talking about this for weeks now. This word, if, I just remind you, it's not indexed to your banking app or what the doctors may have just told you. To be blessed is to live in a state of being that is independent of your circumstances, which means right here and right now you can have the blessedness, which is the approval of God, and you don't need one thing to change in your life or get better in order to have it. You can have it now. That's the encouragement. Blessed. Where's the promise? They shall inherit the earth. There's your promise. You know what that means? The best is yet to come. And I don't mean what the prosperity pimps believe, say, mean when they say that. I'm not talking about next week. I'm not talking about when there's a vaccine. I'm not talking about when it goes back to normal. I'm talking about when the kingdom of God makes itself manifest on the earth. You, me, those of us who follow Jesus, we will inherit the earth. That means this world will not last forever. Sometimes I wonder if God moves us sovereignly through crises like this because we might just be too attached to the world we're living in. There's another world coming. Poverty, sickness, confusion, fear, misunderstanding, isolation, depression, will not last forever for those who follow Jesus. A great inheritance is coming. Here's the challenge. These things belong, Jesus said, to the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we need to ask a couple questions here. What is meekness? We're going to spend about half our time dealing with that question. Second question, how do we live a life of meekness? How do we do that? So let's start with what is meekness. And I got to tell you, it's almost funny when you read the popular level commentaries on this. All right. You ever been shocked, jarred by something in scripture and you thought to yourself, that can't mean what I think it does. You ever been there? Your worst enemy in that moment is a Bible scholar who says, yeah, you're right. It really doesn't mean that. Your best friend in that moment is going to say, let's push in a little deeper. Let's see. Is that actually what it means? And when you read the popular level commentaries around Matthew 5 and verse 5, it's weird. It, it never really gets below the surface of what does this word actually mean. It, but they will spend paragraphs and paragraphs telling you what it doesn't mean. And the biggest negative declaration is this. Meekness is not weakness. It's almost like they recognize their audience. It's a Western world that's infatuated with money and power and influence. And, and, and so they immediately, they read the verse and, they, and with their words on the page, they go, oh, no, no, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. Hold on. Don't leave. Don't leave. It's almost like they're doing everything they can to avoid the shock of the language that Jesus actually employs here. I would challenge you to just do a simple word study of synonyms for the word meekness. And you will find that the other words are just as shocking. They are words like lowly, submissive, yielding, docile, self-effacing. Nobody wants to be that. I don't want to be that. I told you several weeks ago, it's, it's wonderful when the Lord looks good. But I like for him to look good and use me in a way that I look good too. This don't make me look good. 
especially not in this world, this world that, that worships people who are powerful, confident, aggressive, winners, right? Remember, Sermon on the Mount is full of paradox. For our culture, this might be the most shocking one. So here's our choice. We, we can't really deny this if we are Christian, because it's right there in the Bible, right? Even if you're a liberal one that only looks at the red letters, <laughs> this is red letter. Jesus said this. Now, you can ignore it, but not if you really want to follow Jesus. You can try to redefine it. You can say, well, we got to figure out a way to squeeze this into the mold of American individualism and power and wealth. Or you can, in, in the words of Morpheus in The Matrix, how many of y'all are old enough? You remember The Matrix? All right. We're going to swallow the red pill today when it comes to meekness, which means we're going to explore more deeply what Jesus actually meant. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to emulate what he's talking about. Now, here's the good news. We have further instruction beyond just this verse. If we just had this verse, we'd be like, well, how in the world do I do that? Well, the good news is Jesus is invoking the 37th Psalm. And so if you have a Bible, let me just invite you to turn there for a moment and let's learn what meekness is because the, 30, the 37th Psalm sort of colors in the lines for us. Look at verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Seems like we read that just a few minutes ago, didn't we? So here are the characteristics that you're going to find in the 37th Psalm. Non-anxious person, to be meek is to be non-anxious, verse 1. A trusting person, verse 3. A contented person, verse 4. An obedient person, verse 5. A patient person, verse 7. A forbearing person, verse 8. And you take all of those and you put them in a blender. They combine and you end up with five major evidences of meekness. We've been talking a lot about symptoms in recent months, haven't we? What are the symptoms of COVID? What are the symptoms? And now we got cold and flu season starting, which means every public cough and every public sneeze is about to turn into a Salem witch trial. Aren't you looking forward to that? Right? But what are we doing? We're examining symptoms. What are the symptoms that are necessary to diagnose meekness in the soul of a person who claims to follow Jesus? Let me give you five of them. Number one, meekness trusts in the justice of God. Verse one, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious because of wrongdoers. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Some of you are like, I hate that. Yeah, I do too. But keep reading. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. If you were here when we went through Ecclesiastes, you'll remember Solomon lamented this. There are men who live their entire lives. They do nothing but evil, nothing but violence to other people. They die wealthy. They get this great funeral. People treat them like a hero. They really weren't. You're looking at that, and you're like, that's injustice. Yes. How are we supposed to respond to it? Be still before the Lord. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. You notice the context? Evil people are doing evil things, and they are prospering. And in that environment, there are plenty of reasons in the human mind not to be meek, aren't there? So when that false accusation lands on you, 
in your family or at the workplace or whatever, and you didn't see it coming and you're shocked by it, or when that complex situation you can't seem to fix keeps you up at night, when there's lawlessness and anarchy that seem to be on the rise, here's your first step mentally if you want to live blessed. Fix your eyes on the ultimate judge of heaven and earth. Not everything, brothers and sisters, is going to be fixed in this world until Jesus comes back. But rest assured, our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will one day balance the scales. Know that and rest in it. Meekness trusts in the justice of God. Number two, meekness listens in humility. Verse eight, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. You're just going to Respond to evil with, with more evil. David's words give historical definition to what Jesus means. Because a few years, a years later, Jesus' little brother James will give us a very practical application. And we've already looked at this text um, from James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We don't listen very well, do we? Some of you, you believe I love you? Some of you don't want to hear what other people think. You want to hear what you think coming out of their mouth. And if you hear anything other than what you think coming out of their mouth, your response can be described in many ways, but meekness would not be one of those things. It wouldn't. Um, the whole county lost its mind, by the way, just this past week. Black Dog Coffee hosted a high-level government official, and they put it on their Facebook page because you, they're, I, I don't know who those people voted for. I don't care. Here's the deal. I, I've never asked my dry cleaner who she's voting for in November because her vote might cancel out my vote. But you know what? She gets my shirts clean, and my wife will tell you that's hard to do. It really is. And so you got people just in an uproar. We're going to cancel a local business. And if you're one of those people going, yeah, that's ridiculous, check yourself until you ask, what if it had been a person in the other party? How would you have responded? Would it have been the same way you're responding now, which I hope it would be, or would you have been just as utterly ridiculous? And I've already been asked, is Covenant going to keep serving black dog coffee? Yes. Once we get it back, we're not serving it right now. But at some point, our medical team will tell us it's safe to proceed. This is the way you need to do it. We'll open it back up, and we're going to do that. We're not doing that because we're in favor of that particular person or we're against that particular person. We're doing it because we recognize we got a lot of different opinions in this room right now and in our wider church body, but our higher value always above and beyond the national political scene has been to support local businesses as one way of blessing this community, and we will continue to do that as a church family. But you can't do that if you're not willing to listen in humility when you only don't cancel people who always agree with you all the time. You know what that's called? Paul called it itching ears. I just heard something I don't like, and therefore I'm canceling. Therefore I'm boycotting. Therefore I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to show outrage on social media. Maybe you just need to shut up. Because the meek listen in humility. Number three, meekness 
selflessly lives for the good of others. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Do good. Your outrage is not good. Mine is not good. When I feel it welling up, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Meek people, Jesus teaches us, David teaches us here, are not naturally fragile, defensive, always, I can't believe you said that, I'm so hurt, I'm so offended, people. They're not reflexively asking, what's in it for me? Like Jesus, they live for the good of others. They realize sometimes I might need to do some things that I'd rather not do. I might need to refrain from some things that I'd rather do because I'm part of a faith family that's bigger than me. I'm serving a kingdom that's bigger than me. And they live selflessly. Because this is precisely how, imagine if Jesus behaved the way you did. You might be burning in hell right now. The reason you and I are sitting here, not only, not only spared from eternal damnation, but able to do what Moses was not able to do, pierce the veil, walk right into the presence of God with full confidence is because a man who was God made himself of no reputation and put the world before himself. This is what meekness does. Number four, meekness implies self-control. Verse seven, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Paul reminds us in Galatians, self-control is one of the evidences that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, that we're living under his control. Aristotle put it this way, he said, self-control is the mean between excessive anger and excessive angerlessness. God is angry on occasion. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. Outrage is what we might call unjust, ungodly anger. Self-control, number five. Meekness is the epitome of Christ-likeness. I'm going to take you to Matthew 11 here. This is what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am lowly, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So let's walk this backwards really quickly. You want rest for your souls? How many of you have gone to bed and not been able to go to sleep, maybe even several nights in the last six months? You've been thinking about any number of things that you had no idea you would think about back in January or February. I don't care what the subject matter is. You, you can't sleep. You are restless. You are on edge. You are anticipating work. Would you like to find rest for your soul? Would you? Follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus is, at least in part, to exhibit lowliness and gentleness. So let's summarize. What is meekness? It's a patient, unassuming posture that evidences trust in the Lord and a life that is lived for the good of others. See, we know that we live in a world that calls evil good, chiefly because many who, nobody, including many people who call themselves Christian, nobody wants to live like this. Nobody wants to live like this. I want my way. Develop some relationships around you. Live for the good of your church family, number one, your community after that. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is what it means to be meek. Now, here's the harder question. 
How do you live that way? Because can we all agree, at least on this, that ain't easy. That's not, I mean, Pastor, I thought turning the other cheek was hard. This seems impossible. That's because it is. That's because it is. So there are three ways that you actually achieve the impossible here, and, and you live in meekness. Number one, you live in grace. Live in grace. Meekness, evidenced by self-control, is a fruit of the Spirit. If you were here as we moved in the early part of the year through the book of Galatians, you saw this. You can't live this way, at least not by yourself. When I am tempted to avoid meekness, I've only got one option. I have to throw myself at that moment on the mercy of God. I have to ask him humbly to submit me, to lower me, to give me a spirit of meekness. That kind of life is only lived in one way, under the unmerited favor of God you got to live it in grace. God gives you the ability to do something that would be impossible for you to do before. And so when Jesus says blessed or the meek, at least part of what he's saying is that meekness is a sign that God's unmerited favor is mine. Live in grace. Number two, follow Jesus. You're like, well, I am following Jesus. I don't know. Are you? See, We've dumbed down what it means to follow Jesus in the evangelical church. I don't know exactly why. I don't know if it's so our baptism numbers will be higher so we can brag about growth. I, I don't know what it is. But when Jesus says, follow me, and then he describes that in the New Testament, it looks markedly different to me than what a lot even of evangelical churches will tell you it means. Bow your head, pray a prefabricated prayer, get baptized, well, that's how the journey starts, and some of you may need to start that journey today. We'd love for you to start that journey today. It is not the whole journey. When Jesus said in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you, this is what he's talking about. See, a young ox, they would have known this in the first century, a young ox in biblical times would be yoked to an older, experienced ox. Pastor Chris used to have a yoke in his office. It's a double kind of thing. It looks like this, and you put this one in, this, in the older ox's neck, and in this one is the young ox's neck, and so they are tied together. So that young ox must go everywhere that older ox points his nose and starts moving his feet. That older ox knows our, you know, well, he doesn't know that cognitively, but basically the work that that ox is going to do is directly connected to whether or not he can train that younger ox to do it right. Bearing the same yoke. The young ox learn what to do. See, we live in a world where we actually like to come up with our own plans and then ask God to bless them. Jesus says, you want to follow me, you've got to lay all that down. You willfully submit to my yoke, let me lead you. That is what it means to follow Jesus. Number three, be converted. This may be the hardest for some of you to hear. Because we live in a day where don't you dare judge somebody's faith. Don't you dare say that somebody might not be a Christian. Would you rather them go to hell? Verse 5, there's a reason that it is where it is here in Matthew. And there's a reason, furthermore, that it's preceded by the poverty of spirit that Jesus describes in verse 3. The selfless life starts with the denial of self. It starts by taking up one's cross. It starts with that ability being given to you by being born again by the Spirit of God. 
Some of you live selfishly. I love you. And it is why I say this to you. Some of you exhibit outrage and live selflessly, self, self, selfishly and think only of yourself because you have never been saved. If you want the blessing of God, you have to be meek. And if you want to be meek, you've got to rise above this superficial Christianity that relegates everything that Jesus says here to just being civil and having good manners and not cussing and displaying proper social etiquette. Our Christianese passwords and civilities mean nothing to God. But also this, when our language doesn't actually match our walk, we do nothing to impress the world either. And Jesus says we're supposed to make a mark. We're supposed to let our light so shine. We're going to be coming to that. That's actually the text that's going to end this series, that they would see our good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. It's time to surrender to Jesus. Accept his challenge to be meek. The meek, that's the challenge. Are blessed, that's the encouragement. There's one more thing to talk about here. I'm almost done. And that's the promise. Look at verse 5. For they shall inherit the earth. You live this way, it is evidence that you live under the unmerited favor of God. And you shall, not may, shall inherit the earth. How paradoxical can you get? As you stand there, some of you, your brain's probably scrambled eggs right now. You're like, that makes no sense. None. Well, if you're having trouble believing that, then you have forgotten about the life of Jesus. See, at the end of his life, he stood opposite a man who looked in that moment to be his final judge. Pilate was the fifth governor to rule Judea under the emperor Tiberius. Powerful, powerful man. Opposite him on that stage is this poor Galilean peasant, marginalized He's been subjected to a kangaroo court. He's been deprived of justice. He's been destined as far as everybody in that crowd is concerned. He's about to be obliterated from the earth, and no one will ever remember him. These are two figures on the opposite ends of the very paradox that Jesus just described for us in Matthew chapter 5. And between the two of them, no matter what you might have thought you saw, if you had been standing in that crowd, how... It would have never probably occurred to you or me if we're standing in that crowd that between the two of them, Jesus was the one who was truly free. And Jesus was the one who was truly sovereign. And Jesus, the meek, would not only triumph over this moment, but inherit the earth. What happened to these two men? Pilate, truthfully, we don't know exactly what happened to him. How about that? For a guy who in this moment is in the spotlight and everybody thinks he's the man, he's going to be the man. Historians debate as to whatever even happened to this sucker. One tradition says the emperor Caligula had him executed. Others say he committed suicide. Others say he was exiled. Which should tell you something. The fact that nobody can agree on what happens to him means nobody really knows what happened to him, which means the one who seemed to have all of the power and sought to express himself through that said strength and resolve disappeared from history. And today, the only reason you or me know his name is because of his connection to Jesus. 
But what happened to this marginalized, subjected to injustice, crucified, naked man named Jesus? Paul gives us a great summary of this in in Philippians chapter 2. He was obedient. Jesus, the meek, was obedient to death on a cross. The one who was meek, the one who selflessly gave his life for others, calmly and triumphantly rose from the dead. And Paul later in Colossians, as a result, specifically of that bodily resurrection, says he is the firstborn over all creation. In case you don't know what that is, that's a Hebrew designation for the son who gets everything. Absolutely everything. You know what the promise is here? Live in meekness, brothers and sisters. Endure this world in a different way than you see around you. Do it in the confident hope of the world to come because one day there's a trumpet that's going to sound. That eastern sky is going to split in an unmistakable way and it will in that moment reveal the glory and the majesty and the power and the sovereignty of our king who returns to a planet that has always belonged to him. And in that moment, it will be those who followed after him and who behaved like him who will reign with him. You, brothers and sisters and me, we will inherit the earth. You don't have to strut, brag, argue about your rights, wallow in angst, or give in to the temptation to be selfish. You just need to live like Jesus, unassuming living for another world, blessed are the meek. You will inherit the earth. Heavenly Father, how difficult it is sometimes to hold on to your most precious promises. And this is one, Lord, that I pray your precious people in this building and watching right now would seize with all of their might and never let go of it until they see you. It's hard to believe. And yet, 2,000 years ago, you proved it with your own life. You who were God, who did not count equality with God as grasping, but you made yourself of no reputation. You emptied yourself, taking the form of a bondservant. The result of that and the subsequent obedience, even unto death, was that the Father raised Jesus And that you have been given a name that is above every name. And all of us who follow you, who live after that same pattern, we can live for this promise. And Lord, there may be some who've never even started that journey. And maybe they thought until today that they had. I pray that today is the day they lay it all down. Because Father, giving ourselves over for the good of others can only really begin in one way. And that's when we give everything to you. And so I pray for the men and women who are listening right now, particularly those who need to come to know the Lord Jesus, that this would be the day they would begin that journey. For those who are following you and are so confused and depressed and in angst and everything else, Lord, may they rest in the promises that your word has clearly stated. For victory is coming. The absence of sickness and pain and angst is coming. And we thank you for it, Lord, and we praise you for it in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.